0: and I learned a lot of lessons. I mean, I got kicked in the teeth quite a bit, quite often. My partner took it over and um, I started working in a land development company with my, my other partner and practicing law. So I would do the legal work for the company. Like the 2006 is when we purchased the company. So we ramped it up until about double the size and then 2009 hit. And that was like the big crater moment because we had just purchased an athletic club and we had just started our first tech consulting company. And I had just started my first set of home building on the real estate side of things. So in 2008, one month before we got occupancy on two big homes in the area, layman hit. So everything froze. And so I had spent two years building up a real estate law practice buying and starting two other companies and all of a sudden the world economy falls off a cliff, right? I had to actually short sell those houses, which was my first workout with a bank. I usually tell people I have a very unique set of skills at this point that most people don't want because if you, in order to get them, you have to get some serious scars. So in 2009, I had a workout with the bank on the real estate side of things. Um, I was running the athletic club, which at at that point I didn't even have a gym membership. I didn't work out at all. Um, So running that business and people were canceling their memberships in droves. I had a tech consulting company that was just starting to take off, so it was sucking a bunch of cash. And then the window and door company went from double of where it was at back down and cut over 50% of revenue in six months. Um, and so, yeah, I still remember my mom calling me up as I was walking around. And she's like, how do you deal with this? Like, how are you dealing with this craziness that's going on with all this, these credit swaps and all these different, the, these bank shuttering doors and bailouts and all this crazy stuff. And if I even stopped to think about that, I would probably like curl up in a ball on a couch and never get off. I just powered through it.
1: Hey, Founders Pod listeners, on the show today how scratching and clawing his way through the crash of 2008 led to a successful tech business with over 500 employees. Ryan Neal is our guest, Learn from his story of how he managed to deal with the stress and pressure of a down economy to build one of the fastest growing tech companies. Ryan's story is incredible, and I'll know you'll enjoy listening today on The Founders Spot.
0: founders podcast listen to the stories of how everyday extraordinary people start amazing businesses hear how they overcome the odds and find success in the entrepreneurial world the up and down the good and the bad and everything in between and now your hosts jordan hansen and brandon minard
1: Welcome, everybody, to this week's edition of the Founders Pod. Happy to have you with us. My name is Brandon Minert. Here with my co-host, Matt Lamb. Matt, how you doing? Good. How are yeah. you? Awesome. I'm Good. doing great. Good. Uh, today, we're Jordan-less. So typically, yeah. our another co-host of ours is Jordan Hansen. He was not able to make it, but we move on. Alas, we have to move on. We're pushing forward without him, and we're excited to bring the guests that we have on today.
2: But before, a word from our sponsor, Matt, take it away. Are you looking for a high-end pool builder for your residential or commercial property? Look no further. Infinity Pools specializes in creating custom luxury pools that are not only beautiful, but also built to last. From initial design to final construction, our team of experts will work with you every step of the way to bring your dream pool to life, with a wide range of options and features to choose from, we guarantee that you'll love your new pool. Contact us today to schedule a consultation and start building your dream pool. You can find Infinity Pools online at www.infinitypooldesign.com. They're currently servicing Sun Valley, Idaho, Jackson, Wyoming, and all of Utah. Give them a follow on Instagram and TikTok at Infinity Pool Design. Uh, again, you can find them online at www.infinitypooldesign.com. Awesome. Excited to get,
1: give them a call. They're pretty good. In fact, if you're a celebrity, give infinity pools a call, a call,
2: right? They've worked I mean, with that's some big names like, for sure. Yeah.
1: Big names out there. So shout out to Ren episode number 52. Really good. Listen. Okay. We're going to introduce our guest today. Excited to have him on. Just met him. So brand new, brand new to the Founders Pod here, brand new to to us, but we're excited to hear his story. Uh, Guest that we have on today, owner, founder, CEO, and president of Blueprint Technologies since 2013, uh, also has a number of other companies. Self-described uh, serial entrepreneur. So if you've grown up in the entrepreneurial realm, you know these guys are hardcore and uh, have a screw or two loose, right? And uh, we're excited to hear his story, but. Uh, Our guest today is Ryan Neal. Ryan, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thanks for having me, guys.
1: Awesome. Yeah, no, appreciate you joining. Ryan has a couple of companies that he listed. Blueprint Technologies is the main company, but also is involved in real estate, both investments and properties at Pendulum Properties and Pendulum Investments. Also, FYI, check him out as a band with Iris Drive Band. So sing, and you can listen to him on what is it? Apple Music, Spotify, all of the major brand, all of the major platforms. Is that right?
0: Yep, all streaming and uh, YouTube as well. And uh, we play play live around in the kind of the Northwest area.
1: That's cool. So, are you the main singer? Yeah, yeah. All right. So, doing the vocals. Any cowbell? Any you know unique (laughs) instruments going on as well, or
0: everybody can use more (laughs) cowbell. (laughs) Awesome. So yeah, oh, we cool. play. Uh, um, it's actually with two two guys I went to preschool with, uh, oh, wow. so way back in the day, and uh, plus another guy that, uh, um, and we and we all work together as well, which is awesome. Um, the uh, uh, um, uh, so I play the do the the bulk of the songwriting and then singing and then play guitar, and then I also played bass on the records as well.
1: So you guys yeah. were in preschool, you know, hitting the xylophones and kind of looked at each other and like, hey, or, we we or have each a future. Other. Or each yeah. other. <laughs> and you're like, we got a future in this, guys. Like, we sound pretty good, right? Is that? <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 but it's, it's, I mean, entrepreneurship is very much of the, the, the kind of the relentless pursuit of creation of businesses, of things, and music is it really patterns that being able to make a record and actually take it out there is, is entrepreneurship in and of itself. So oh, it, yeah. it's, it's yeah. a lot of fun.
2: You know, Ryan, Brandon, and I go back all the way to first grade, so not preschool. It's just funny how you can't get rid of some people. You know, kind of, <laughs> you're kind of stuck with them.
1: Hang around. You know, that's what you got to tell your kids when they go to preschool. Is you're like, look, don't worry. The people you meet in this class, a few of them, <laughs> you'll always know the rest of your life. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, this small group of 30 people, one or two of them will be with you exactly. for the next 40 or 50 years. So sorry. Yeah,
0: my, my, my daughter would look around and go, yeah, they, all these people suck. So I hope I get rid of I know. Them, yeah. them along the way.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Uh, anyway, well, we're happy to have Ryan on. We've heard a lot about him. We're excited to hear his story. Ryan, th- to get us started, can you describe the companies that you work for or started, Blueprint Technologies? Can you describe what they do and what you do for those companies?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so Blueprint uh, is a company that started back in. We're just coming up on April first is the 10 year anniversary. So uh, most folks know that the kind of the the rarefied um, getting a company to be able to be in business and last for 10 years is pretty pretty rare. Um, so we're super proud of it. I'm excited to be able to. Um, be doing this as long as we've done and change and transform. Um, Blueprint today still has the same kind of core starting point and store uh, core business model that we started with, Uh, but it's a very different company now. We build, um, we do everything uh, data technology, so for large enterprises. So we kind of sit in between and understand all the different um, really complex uh, data technology that's out there, the ways that companies use data, And we'd be able to um, create solutions and products to help large companies be able to make it useful for their businesses. Um, So that's kind of the role I play. I'm almost kind of like the anchor in the business where I'm not a tech person. I actually don't really like tech. Um, I like, I I don't like, I I don't listen to any stuff on the digital streaming um, services. I actually listen to vinyl and They'll have all my CDs and kind of, so, um, so, but what it does is it's kind of like, it makes it, you know, all of the, the technologists and the really, really smart people, it forces them to actually make technology that's relevant for the business owner. That's going to power the business, that power the business forward. Um, and so that's really what we specialize in.
1: So what's a typical company? Is it, is it just construction or is it any sort of business that you work with?
0: No, I and mean, we work with everything from startups that want to get uh, um, get kicked off and want to be able to build products. Um, we work with large companies like Microsoft, um, Coca Cola, AT and T, like major enterprises. Um, like for example, like one of our one of our um, um, uh, platforms that we run that we built is an intelligent supply chain platform that powers all of Microsoft's internal supply chains for building out their data centers. Um, and, uh, so yeah, it's a, um, it's a, it's a, it's, that's the type of showcase that we, that we love to do. It's, you know, we have, um, build things around, you know, for large scale retailers around, um, inventory optimization, profitability analysis, be able to help their sellers do better business out in the field or their stocking, their, their stores keep better products in stock for folks. So, okay. So these and are is-
2: custom solutions then for these companies. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, usually. Or or they'll be, um, will utilize large scale um, kind of world class technology and be able to configure it in a way so that the, the businesses can utilize it.
1: Okay. Is it, is I mean, it a lot of database back end stuff and user interface front end design or is it yeah, one or the other? We,
0: except, except we start the opposite way as we go with the actual customer experience or the user experience and then work back try to make it as optimal as possible not start with the actual technology in mind
1: um interesting so blueprint as far as not anything really to do with blueprints per se but essentially when a customer comes to you you try to map out the blueprint of what they need and get to the finished product you know through design and creation that way
0: yeah, I am impressed for how how young you guys are. You know what the actual blueprints are, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is well, awesome. My dad's a uh,
2: builder, so yeah, construction. Nice. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: so no, we did get a few calls, especially every once in a while. Every month we get probably, or every quarter we get like one call going, "Hey, can I get my blueprints reproduced?" <laughs> like, yeah, not really. Like, it's kind of a play on words. Um, it's really more yeah. like, um, arch- architect and design for technology, gotcha. right? Architect design for data technology.
1: Is there a specific industry you focus on, or just anybody?
0: Uh, pretty much anybody, but it's usually we try to where we where people see the most value in our partnership is people that want to kind of get a kick in the ass um, and move things forward um so you know that they have a high level of incentive to try to improve and leverage technology to be able to improve so you know like the technology companies are big one big customers of ours but also a lot of retailer and manu- retailers and manufacturing that want to get ahead of their competitors or they're just feeling pressure from post-pandemic supply chain madness and they need to be able to actually leapfrog their old technology, they'll leverage us to be able to um, to be able to understand their customers better. Um, anybody, it's really any industry and any customer that really wants to get a really good understanding, a better understanding of their customer, and then be able to marry it up with whatever product they're trying to take to market. We expect, we we own that journey.
1: Wow, that's a big journey. It's fun, a big journey. Yeah, I bet it's challenging
0: though. It's challenging. You work with a lot of really high level of complexity and people doing really really cool stuff. So, so, why, so like, go
2: ahead. Yeah, yeah, Ryan, you're a a guy that doesn't like technology running a technology company. How does that start? How does that happen?
0: Um, well, so I actually see it as a pretty big advantage, and I try to kind of hold to it. Um, uh, what it does. Um, and kind of the entrepreneurship side of things, you know, typical like most companies are either started by somebody who knows the product really, really well, or somebody knows how to sell product really, really well, and want to take something out to market. Um, I I usually say like, I mean, I be being not. Never the smartest guy in the room and, and never understand really understanding the tech. What it forces me to do first is it really forces me to learn, which that is one of the biggest things in a fast-changing environment is to be able to learn and not take anything as kind of hold it as truth. But the other big thing is it forces me to build really good teams because when I walk into a room and I'm trying to engage with a customer and they start speaking what sounds like Latin, but I know it's English words, um, I have to be able to go out and attract really good talent that are going to translate. So
1: yeah, no, that's a that's an important skill to have. I know for a long time, marrying the technology and sales portion was a huge upcoming field where it's like you have these guys with incredible skills but not great interpersonal skills to communicate that to a, a group of executives who need a project done, and you know that translation. Yeah, is a difficult thing. So
0: yeah, and well, especially for the actual business practicality. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, we have, we have a number of individuals that are so smart. They're not really fit for human contact. Right. So we kind of keep <laughs> them behind the scenes, <laughs> yeah. um, but we yeah. try to get them, you know, everybody's really cool and unique. So we try to, we try to put them all in the same, uh, in, in the same room together to do cool stuff.
1: Yeah. How, how, like, last? I mean, I just have one more question. I think. How, how long is a typical project? Do you guys stay with the customer for, you know, the whole ten years, or is it a, a start and end date, particularly, or do you continue to work servicing on those projects that you've completed?
0: Yeah, it depends. I mean, we do um, we do short term projects depending on what customers need, but our typical, I'm. Mean, Technology investment's a journey. Uh, you can't just yeah. it, like for most enterprises, any, any any customer that's larger than you know, kind of a mom and pop, like you know teriyaki shop. Um, anything is a journey, right? You have to invest in technology, and then you have to constantly be able to rehab it and improve it along the way. And if you don't, it gets stale, it gets old, it breaks, and then you break, and if it's critical to your business, it's going to fall apart, and then your business is going to be affected ne- negatively. So the typical life cycle with our engagement, uh, um, our customers is um, we start out relatively small and then we end up kind of like sitting side by side with them to own good portions of their overall technology strategy. Um, I usually phrase it like for most customers, uh, um, you know, a, a large, like um, one of our customers, a large big box retailer, I go, you know, you guys, you guys are, Superpower is owning and managing vendor relationships and holding people accountable. Why would you then try to become technologists? Because you got a bunch of people that you have to then bring in, and you want to own technology, but you are not experts at technology. Why don't you just partner with a vendor, um, a world-class vendor, um, and just hold them accountable, right? You know, yeah. so that's usually what we like to do. Is we like to be that partner that they hold us, they hold accountable to be able to drive their technology initiatives.
1: Cool. Well, that's a really impressive business. Thanks for describing that um, blueprint. You guys are based out of Bellevue, Washington.
0: Yeah.
1: Awesome. Is that where you grew up?
0: Uh, I grew up kind of north here, of, but yeah, I've always I grew up in the Washington area and and uh, have always wanted to move out. Um, and it's really, really tough to beat the quality of life up here in the northwest. I mean, yeah. you, guys, you, pro- you guys know it's you guys are. You guys are in the area. So
1: exactly. Yeah. yeah. Which part of so north of Bellevue? Which part?
0: Uh, I grew up like in Everett? the, the Lake, yeah Lake Stevens Snohomish area. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Okay. Cool. And then what type? What was your family composition made up? Did you have a lot of? You have a big family, a lot of siblings, or a only child?
0: Uh, uh kind of. I mean, middle. So, so my um my my journey started. Uh, I have. I have three siblings, so there's four of us. But we were kind of all my family grew up in Eastern Washington, so they're in the um, either in the 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 whole farming community out there, or um, uh, my dad's side is on the in the Spokane Valley in the um, okay. in the uh, Native American side of things, and um, they ended up moving over to the west side. So um, most of my extended family is over on the eastern side of the the state. Um, and so we grew up as the city kids the uh, um, just the, the the four of us um, and you know my parents were divorced when when I was four, so they got divorced pretty early and and that's part of the journey is watching. Um, uh, kind of like the, I did everything I could to reject and not do what my parents did. But I eventually, um, eventually became an entrepreneur and I'm also an attorney and my dad's an attorney and my mom's a serial entrepreneur. Oh, so you're wow. working out that way.
1: So those genes are pretty strong. <laughs> you can't get that.
0: away from them really. I tried. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, I bet. So like culturally, what's interesting, if you're familiar with the state of Washington, I mean, I don't know. And it's similar with Oregon. Eastern Washington versus Western Washington couldn't be more different culturally. Yeah. It's tough to find a state that has a, such a culturally diverse, you know, state, and, I guess, geographically, And, geographical and
0: divided by a, a, um, a mountain range. That's it.
1: Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Almost two different states there. Well, that's interesting. So what did your parents do then?
0: Um, I mean, you said so your dad was yeah, an attorney. And- Yep. Yeah. So my dad had a private practice uh, in law, and uh, and my mom. So uh, she uh, back back in the day, um, post uh, split, she got all four kids and didn't have any. She didn't have a job um, and didn't had just basically. I think she had like one quarter of community college education, um, and so it's kind of the, the that that was the 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 basis for my inspiration to become an entrepreneur do what kind of do what i do and i still um go back to um every time I, any time along the way that you know the economy goes sideways or i think my life is tough i always put myself back in that situation and go yeah probably not as tough as as she dealt with so yeah she um you know she she started off with no job and and was raising a bunch of young kids and um but needed to get income so she started working at night and created her own bookkeeping business so she'd take care of us or eventually when we got into preschool right and when you get a little bit of time and then um after after um feeding us putting us down she would actually go to work um or in her bedroom or an office and run books for local companies and that's how she kind of got into entrepreneurship is she had a couple clients that ended up starting a manufacturing business for windows and doors. And they hired her as a part-time bookkeeper and part-time sander of these wood windows and doors. Oh. <laughs> and so that's the business that I grew up in. And it's pretty cool because I ended up, it was the first business that I purchased after I got out of grad school, Was actually purchased it from those two founders.
1: Oh, get out of here, wow. really. So wh- what, was the, what was the name of the business?
0: Uh, it's called Quantum Windows and Doors. Yeah, so really? they're still yeah. around. They're, they're they're doing well, and so they do real high end um, custom wood windows and doors for um, like large scale vacation homes, big commercial projects. So yeah, I purchased that company in 2006 and then sold it in 2012. Yeah.
1: Oh, okay. Well, there's a whole story in that, I'm sure. But it, did you work? Yeah. Did you work in the shop growing up? Is that what your mom would take you long? And that was a big yeah. part of your growing
0: up? Yeah, first jobs all the way through um, working, sweeping the floors and, and working my way up into sanding. And so um, and, know, and, I know it's, it's one of the cool things about being a serial entrepreneur is I know a lot of stuff about a lot of just weird, random things. I know, I know, I know fenestration, wood windows and doors, windows and doors really well.
2: When oh. you started working there, was that something that crossed your mind that hey, someday I'll buy this place?
0: No. <laughs> that was the <laughs> that was the uh, I want to I want to do this so I can go do something else. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: So, and I mean that's incredible. It's really super impressive what your mom did. I mean, it's so inspiring to see how she kind of built her way up, you know, after a really difficult change and getting a divorce and having four kids, young kids to provide for. And what was her counsel to you? I mean, what was her influence on you growing up? Did she say you need a good education, you need to do something else? Or what did she say to you growing up?
0: Well, it's, it's funny. It's the, um, I, there's a lot of what, a lot of different things that she said. Um, but um, and I think the, like the, the very first time I knew my mom was serious was when I heard her drop the F bomb to one of my sisters. <laughs> I was like, oh, geez. Okay. That's the farm girl coming out. <laughs> I've never her. Um, the, it, I was actually, I was thinking, uh, um, I, as I was applying, uh, it I was applying to law school. You have to go through and put together your application and, and you have to go through and get all your transcripts. And I was like, geez, how do I get my, I don't know how to even, how to get my high school transcripts. Um, but my college transcripts, and it was funny because I um, I took a look and I got a, um, in undergrad I mean I pretty much kind of coasted my way through it and got a 3.01 and then my high school grade point was a 3.0 on the nose and I was like that's really weird that I got the exact same grade point in high school and college and then i realized that my mom had said i couldn't drop below a 3.0 or else she was gonna not kind only of like first kick my ass but then also make me start paying for all of my stuff <laughs> and and so i just did just barely above what that minimum threshold the expectations right and so i did, they're kind of tying it back it was it was not what it was not really what she said it's that expectation that she put out of you're going to college or else you're getting kicked out of the house and you better get good grades or else, you know, or else there's going to be consequences.
1: Yeah. And then did you have a a career in mind? I mean, were you looking towards, Hey, I really want to do this. You you be, you got, you went to law school. Was that always in the plans? Did your dad say, Hey, you should do this Ryan or
0: no, I actually, I, during, so I went to college um, at university of Washington and my, kind of this, the, my path was I was going to be a business school major and, um, and I ran into financial accounting and stats and I just could I basically flunked out. Um, I almost dropped out of college and then I had to, I ended up switching my major over to history and philosophy, which was not made, didn't make my mom very happy. Um, and, uh, it kind of uh, I, I ended up working for my dad as well uh, in his law firm, and I just hated it. I hated being a lawyer, um, or why I hated like working at it, like in the in the field of law. Um, so I try to avoid it as much as possible. Um, and what kind of my journey was is um, I'm a musician and I was playing music, and ended up getting a job right out of college for uh, with it with a, in a record store at Easy Street Records, um, and then got a job with the record label. And after a couple of years of that, decided that I wanted to be a CEO of a record label. I wanted that That's what I wanted my career path to be. And, um, and took a look at the majority of folks that were leading those, um, record labels and organizations in the music industry. And about half of them were attorneys. Um, so I decided to go back to grad Mm -hmm. school and at that point decided to go to law school.
2: So what did you start out doing for the record label when you first started there?
0: uh i was a i was in artist development so um not not in the a and r side of things it's basically my job was working with warner brothers to take bands that um, were brand new and to get them really popular in the northwest
2: any names that you worked with that we would know
0: yeah mean warner brothers you have everybody from um um at the time, Lincoln Park was brand, a brand new band, but built a spill uh, coming out of Boise, mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and then everything from like Missy Elliott, uh, Busta Rhymes, um, and then tons of world music because we had a bunch of. I mean, it was diverse all the way across the board, and then just some really, really terrible pop artists that I can't even I'd, like, Luckily, I'd purge them out of my memory banks. Um, <laughs> that's but where your you have, job like, is.
2: Uh, Your job is to get these people well known in your area, right? That's what you were doing. Yep.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And
2: and how do you go about doing that? Do you put up flyers? Do you radio spots? I mean, what does that look like?
0: Yeah. Well, at at least back in the day, I mean, now it's changed, but not really. It's kind of, it's, 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 it's changed, but it's still kind of the same as, you know, back in the day it was, it was, um, radio and retail. And, and so my whole job was, um, if I had a, if I had a new band, um, I would know all the people that, you know, it's kind of that, 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 that like Maven concept, right? Where, where, um, you guys being in Boise, right? There's one, there's one guy in Boise that basically dictates the entire music taste, or at least did back in the day, Tim Johnstone. I don't know. He's on, he's on, I don't know if he's still on the radio. Um, he used to be part of the record exchange. And so basically there's a whole group of people that would go into the record exchange and go, Tim, what what's new and what should I like? And he would go, cool, here, buy this, buy this music. And they would go, wow, that's amazing. And he was just in the center of it. Um, and so my job was to get to know all those folks and then be able to convince them that they would like our music or bribe them with backstage passes to the band that they like so that they p- pimped our stuff out. <laughs> you know, it's awesome. like, even back in the day, like that's how we, everything got on radio was payola. And, you know, you slip the DJ some Coke and a $200, two two dollars bills and they pay, play your record, right? There you go.
1: So, so I'm trying to put the timeline together. When you had that job, was that in college or your undergrad? Or was that right during, out. right out of your undergrad? So you're working, let's see, you were, you were finishing up your undergrad in history. Yeah. And what year was that?
0: Uh, I graduated in 98, 97.
1: Okay, ninety eight, ninety seven, and then your dream is music industry.
0: Yep, so I went to work there, and then um, it was kind of the, the first, like one of the things from an entrepreneurship standpoint is at some point you realize what your capacity is to be able to accomplish things and how much time there actually is in the day. So um, uh, I was working in the music business and decided to go to uh, law school at night and, um, and at the same time, then I got a job actually working out at Microsoft um, doing, um, doing uh, audio and video testing. And it's one of the times when I actually learned that I actually had a pretty good ear um, was because I don't know anything about the technology. Um, and Microsoft is looking for this, building this team to be able to test their audio and video, the processing of it. And I got a 100% on the actual test, the the test. And they're like, you don't know anything about the tech, but I don't know how you passed that test. Come on in here. So um, I spent in, at the beginning of law school, and then I did uh, my MBA at the same time at night. Um, I would go, I would start out going to Microsoft and do work. And then I would then leave and go do my music industry gig from like, And that was like six in the morning till eight in the morning from eight to about three. I would do my music industry gig and then I would bug out and go study and then go to class in the evening Um, and usually go to class, go go to law school probably until like eight o'clock at night and then go study until about 10 and then rinse and repeat. And you start to realize like I was like, you know, how much TV watching and how much just stupid shit you do that waste time where people go, oh, I just don't have enough time in the day. And you start to learn what your capacity is. So that's yeah. how I spent kind of the early 2000s is running like that for about four, four years straight. Wow. And
2: this is before Red Bull and a lot of energy drinks, right? I mean, what was the...
1: Well, Seattle, <laughs> well, I, right? I guess you got Starbucks all day long, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. It is. I tell, like, you make it through, like, managing your drugs, right? Which is coffee, 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 booze, 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 get to sleep. Yeah. Like, you know, and, you know, you can't you can't be sitting there nodding off in, in a law school class at 730 at night when you're, you know, just because you wake up early.
1: Yeah. And then what, the law school that you went to, uh, I know... Was it a Gonzaga uh uh or CLU. Oh okay. Seattle University. Seattle University. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I'm I'm trying to picture your your thoughts because you mentioned you purchased a company coming out of law school. Yeah. Did you get to a point in your in that four years where you thought, I don't know that the music industry where is where I wanna be?
0: Yeah, I mean it was it not my first crash and burn scenario, but one of one of them is um I actually was trying to be an entertainment lawyer and I had spent two years actually working for an entertainment lawyer. And is that like an agent? Is that like a a, a representation, um, attorney, like doing all the deals, negotiating deals for reality stars and deals with record labels and all this different stuff. Um, and so I had spent, um, Um, two years investing in this. And I actually, the majority of the time, I worked for free, and she had, we had struck a deal. She's like, well, cool, when you get out, you'll actually be a a partner in the firm. You just invest all this time. And um, it was about six months before I graduated, and she and I had a falling out, and everything blew up. And so I was left, I didn't do any of the on-campus interviews. I didn't do any internships. I put all my eggs in that one basket, and it completely blew up on me. And so it was one of those times where I got out and I was studying for the bar and going, oh my gosh, like I got nothing. I spent all this time and all this energy and all this money and I have nothing to show for it. And when I went out there and started looking for a job, sending out your resume into the abyss is just brutal, right? And so I spent about six months with just crickets, like, and you can, it's really tough. I mean, mental health is tough for everybody, especially when you're challenged and you're not getting the results that you want. Um, 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 I had uh, pretty pretty much almost slipped into a depression uh, and towards the end of that period of time. And then it's kind of the testament of perseverance at the, at the exact same time it happened within the same month was... Um, um, I had reconnected with my uh, study partner that that I that I uh, um, uh, studied with along the way, and he actually owned a land development company that he was trying to get profitable. Um, and at the same time, another friend of mine was actually working for a private equity firm that was starting to break up um, and split and go their own several ways. So within the course of a month, I put um, my law study partner hired me as his business manager for his land development company, started to teach me land development. At the same time, I was his business manager. So I started to work on profitability of the business and we formed our own law firm together. So we started to practice law together. And at the same time, I put a deal together with my other buddy to start a new private equity company, go out and raise money and go buy. The window and door company um, that I that, thats the, I knew the the founders and they said, well, cool. We know the money side. We know the transaction side. You know that company. Let's go buy it. So it all happened in 2006, like bang, 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 started my own law firm, um, uh, started to learn land development and then bought a company that my partner ended up uh, um, starting to run.
1: Whoa, <laughs> that's, a lot. that's a lot to unpack right there. I mean, that's but... quite a bit. No, yeah, you went from it depression. was really
0: like it was really the kind of the all-in scenario where I was like, "Geez, all this stuff is happening at once. I have to say yes to all of it." Um, and um, it's, but it's also, I mean, it's kind of you know, most entrepreneurs have to do it and make that you have that inflection point. And you have to just go for it at some point. I mean, I I cashed in my four hundred one k. I liquidated every all my savings and just said. Here's my money. What does this get me in this purchase of a company, right? Um, and looking back, I mean, it was the smartest thing I did. But it was also realizing that that I was going to have to work 16 hours a day to be able to handle everything all at once and to be able to accelerate it. You know,
1: were you in a relationship at the time? Yep. Okay. And so I don't know if I was a spouse or what, but I mean, that's a fairly significant commitment, which was. You know the person you were with was she like hey can you go get a job <laughs> like i don't want to see you too i mean what was her what was her position at the time
0: well that was a big part of it is you know um we actually met that was my um my my, my wife her girlfriend at the time uh, eventually got married and then we split up a few years ago um the uh, the as we were dating um that was a big part of it where i was like "Who i'm supposed to be i'm supposed to be the man you know, I get this double degree that I'm working for. She sacrificed having to go along with it, with me because um, I met her in law school. Um, and then out of it, I'm like, I'm supposed to be the guy, right? I'm supposed to be now either working for a big firm or work for a big company. And I'm the most unemployed in our family, right? <laughs> you know, and so that was a big part of it. That was a lot of pressure and pressure that I put on myself. But then also kind of looking across the table and she's like, when are you gonna get your shit together like? Um, and I'm here for you, but you better get your shit together, you know? And then to flip it around and go, Cool, um, by the way, I'm taking all the money and savings, I'm putting it all into this this big venture. Um, it was a uh, some interesting conversations. But also, I mean, I don't know, I mean, anybody anybody that marries an entrepreneur or dates an entrepreneur, they gotta know what weird, crazy breed of individual that they're dealing with. If they're not that it's I don't know. Yeah, they know but what you're were,
2: were you confident taking all of those big leaps at once? I mean, that's a lot and a lot of money. I mean, were you scared? Were you like, "Hey, let's just do this"? What were you thinking?
0: Um. Well, so two things on that. I the there's always unknowns, right? You know, um, anybody that even just has a regular job and they take a new job, right? There, you don't know what's on the other side of that chasm when you jump. And so, getting comfortable with the, um, uh, the, that not having that line of sight is something everybody has to get comfortable with. Otherwise, you end up, you know, being the type of person where you're trying to, you're, you're like a, you end up becoming a banker that wants to squeak out like half a percentage point and you're cheering when you do it, you know, um, miserable existence. Uh, the, the other side is like, The advice I got from an entrepreneur was um, if you actually believe that you can accomplish things, then always bet on yourself. And even if you don't know what you're doing, and even if you don't see a path forward that's clear, always know that you're going to work your ass off as hard as you can and learn and try to figure it out. Um, And that's really the strength of an entrepreneur. Is like you know relentlessly pursuing opportunities, even when you have no idea whether or not they're going to be successful or not, and then just know that you're going to put the the, the requisite amount of pressure on it to be able to give it its best chance to to see, be successful.
1: So, uh, question: So, were you involved in the uh, let's see window and door company in the day to day, or were you just kind of part of the exchange to get that company purchased?
0: Um, not not initially. So I mean I knew the company backwards and forwards just because I had worked in it, right? And you know, when I walked back in the door after we completed the purchase, one of the, the head of engineering was like looking at me like, geez, I knew you when you were like twelve years old, a little shithead kid running around here that we had to take care of because you are the son of the boss, right? Yeah. Um and then I it was kind of an identity thing. It was one of those things where it's sitting in, you know, I doing doing due diligence on a company when I'd never done it before, but I was the most educated person in the room and I didn't understand any of it. You know, it was it was pretty intimidating. And I learned a lot of lessons. I mean, I got kicked in the teeth quite a bit, quite often, um, early on, because I was supposed to understand things like just discounted cash flow or, or, um, um, cash projections on a post acquisition operating where like network, like uh, networking capital calculations and operating capital versus the capital expenditures you have to put together. I had studied it all, but I had no idea how it actually worked in practice. Right. Um, and so being on the other side of it was, was pretty intimidating. Um, I was involved in the transaction, so I got to learn a lot and then my partner took it over and um i started working in a land development company with my my other partner and practicing law so i would do the legal work for the company um and then i mean if you know like the 2006 is when we purchased the company so we ramped it up um to about double the size and then 2009 hit and that was like the big crater moment because i had um, um, I had just purchased, we had just purchased a, uh, an athletic club and we had just started our first tech uh, consulting company um, at the, in, in 2008. And I had just started my first set of home building on the real estate side of things. So in 2008, before layman hit, one month before, or one month before we got occupancy on um, the homes that we were building, two big homes in the area. Um, layman, layman uh, hit. So everything froze and so I had been spent the two years building up a real estate law practice buying and starting two mother companies and all of a sudden the world economy falls off a cliff, right? Um, and so the, um, the, uh, the, um, I had actually short sell those houses which was my first workout with a bank Um, So if you've never, I I, I usually tell people I have a very unique set of skills at this point that most people don't want because if you, in order to get them, you have to go through some serious shit and get some serious scars. Um, So in 2009, um, uh, I had a workout with the bank on the real estate side of things. Um, I was running the athletic club, um, which at, the, at that point, I didn't even have a gym membership. I didn't work out at all. Um, so running that business and people were canceling their memberships in droves. I had a tech consulting company that was just starting to take off. So it was sucking a bunch of cash. And then the window and door company went from double of where it was at back down and cut over 50% of revenue in six months um and so yeah i still remember my mom my mom calling me up as i was walking around and she's like how do you deal with this like how are you dealing with this craziness that's going on with all this you know these these credit swaps and all these different these bank shuttering doors and bailouts and all this crazy stuff and if i even stopped to think about that i would probably um i would probably like curl up in a ball on a couch and never get off Um, um i just powered through it so kind of the long story short on that is the, we ended up, um, uh, um, getting the, getting the business all through, um, the, that downturn. Um, but I ended up taking over the window and door company. Cause my partner was like, oh geez, this is too late. I, I just had a good run of, of hell and we were able to keep the thing profitable all the way through and ended up selling it, um, a few years later for a, a real good profit. So I did you have to shut
2: down the other businesses or did those stay... No, ran them. Wow.
0: Ran, ran them. Um, Got really, really good at um, cash flow management and um, and profitability projections. Just had to. Right? I mean, yeah. just think about this, like, And and that's where kind of you know the people who were entrepreneurs through that time, um, and if you've ever had to manage through a downturn, which we're starting to go through right now. So for entrepreneurs that are trying to manage through a downturn, the bright side is once you make it out of this, you're going to have some scars and you're going to have some skills that enable you to manage a business through a downturn. And that's really it's 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 a it's a really important skill set to be able to operate through a downturn. Um, And we would start out the week. Um, you know, 50 employees, we I think we had hundred and some 120 employees in the portfolio and start out a week and go cool payrolls happen in Thursday and we have zero dollars, not just not enough money to cover payroll. We don't have any dollars at all. So we need to be able to make Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, to be able to figure out how we're going to get the right amount of money to be able to cover all the payrolls. And that was like a two year cycle mm-hmm. every two weeks. Yeah, um,
1: stressful. It's <laughs> stressful to get through that for sure. You learn,
0: you learn a lot.
1: Yeah, well, I think it's a, it's cool about that window and door company. I mean, luckily they'd been around long enough that it, the sales didn't go from a hundred to zero. Went, you know, you said it cut in half, which which is saying something, you know, because a lot of companies went down to zero and and I think it's impressive that you guys worked your way through. I think the owner sold at a good time though, two thousand six. We probably timed yeah. that pretty well. <laughs>
0: Yep, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's a good deal.
1: So then you sold that in 2013. I know that you know 2013 was roughly the time that Blueprint Technologies came into existence. Is that sort of the what led into it?
0: Uh, what led into Blueprint was actually selling the the tech consulting company. So um, that company was um, uh, a company that was more kind of like a it was more like a recruiting company, a staffing company and and what i'd always wanted to create was a company that um, was much more business focused that really understood the business outcomes um and was really applicable um bringing technology to 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 be able to power the business initiatives um part of that was because i would always be pissed off at technology within the businesses that i would run i was running manufacturing companies and trying to watch it and like, you know, te- technologists implement an ERP system was just nonsense. Um, and so I always thought there was a better way to do it. And so, um, had, uh, partnered with another, uh, um, fa- co-founder or a co- couple co-founders, but one of the main ones was a guy that worked out at Microsoft and he had the same philosophy around frustrations with just general, um, staffing companies that were basically body shops. So that's what was the, 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 the the start was trying to create a company that had the overall business strategy, understanding of the business strategy of kind of like a management consulting company. Um, and, and, but then also the, the technology capabilities to be able to execute on that plan and hold yourself accountable for the results.
1: Gotcha. And then, you know, was it a, was it something that was a difficult thing to start up or how, I mean, what was the origin? Uh, I guess you described what your frustrations were, but how did that end up working out?
0: Yeah. Um, we still, I mean, we're, we're, we try to stay pretty lean and scrappy. Um, we, we started the, uh, we, we started the, the company kind of in a, um, um, how I like to start companies. And I think the way that it's the, the re- a real smart way to do it, which is, um, Being able to put together a lightweight business plan with a bunch of, of, uh, necessary components along the way and get them set up and try to test them and try to get the thing to fail along the way before you actually get it kicked off. So we actually, so we started Blueprint April 1st of 2013, but we actually started Blueprint, um, November of 2012 um that entity we just shut down um once we got the real kickoff and all the all the different components to actually get put in place um but it was a, it was a grind i mean our first year you know we it, it took a heavy level of investment to try to get it up to speed we started it super scrappy in the up the the top uh, office of an athletic club, the athletic club that I owned, right. So the people, in order to make phone calls, they'd have to leave the office and go down into the parking lot, um, take phone calls out there. Recruiters are calling, you know, meeting meeting people at the at the coffee shop down the street, and you know, people are taking phone calls where basketball games are going on, and yeah, it was kind of like everybody piling in together. Um, and uh um you know then then we got up to uh, kind of our first wave of critical mass and then started to move out of that office and then things just took off like wildfire um we ended up being the fastest growing company in washington two years in a row i think it was 2015 and 2016. um and wow. one of those we actually got best places to work for too so the quality of um of employee experience was was, was up there and now we're one of the largest, uh, privately owned companies in Washington.
1: Wow. That's really, uh-huh. so do they base that off of gross sales on fastest growing? Yep. Re- on revenue growth.
0: Yeah.
1: Wow. That's, that's incredibly impressive. I mean, you started it at a really good time, right? Like that was kind of the kickoff to the rebound yep. I mean the last 10 years have been, you know, steady growth for a lot of people in the economy, but man, that's incredible. Fastest growing, largest. So how many people do you have working at Blueprint right now?
0: Uh, I think we're, we're right around 550 employees.
1: Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Um so, so I was going to ask you off.
2: Oh, go ahead. You can go, Matt. So when you started off, you said you know it required a a pretty big investment to get things going, but you stayed, you know, you're scrappy, you had the office above the gym. Was there ever a point where you're like are we gonna grow out of this? Are we gonna make it? Are we always confident that, hey, we we know what we're doing. It's just gonna be a matter of time.
0: Um, well, so the for me, those two different things are. Um, the, the there's two components of that that don't really fit. Um, mm-hmm. so from a confidence standpoint, I'm all I always try to be confident. Yeah. Um, really, like you know, um, a really good entrepreneur is not a is not um uh risk averse or risk tolerant what they're really good at a really good entrepreneur is all around risk management identifying risk and then mitigating the shit out of it um most people don't know i mean we we almost within the first 12 months i think i counted at one point we almost went out of business um nine times right like running out of cash um because being able to grow like most companies actually go out of business when they're growing, not when they're declining, um, because it just takes so much cash management to be able to actually to be able to grow. And if you mess it up, um, also like it's it's also for entrepreneurs, what we always talk about is operations is king. If, if an entrepreneur is not operational minded and doesn't understand accounting and financial statements and how to actually manage that stuff, they need to get really good at it because you know forecasting growth and being able to manage it is all around the uh, a huge portion of its timing and so yeah we there there was um, I still remember like I, I remember um, there was one point where um, the uh, um, where the, the the economy was um, um, still really really bumpy and one of the other companies was not doing very well and um, and blueprint Luckily was doing well, but we had this weird situation happen with a bank where they ended up um, finding out about the other company's financial health and they cut off the line of credit at Blueprint. It was the first time I actually figured out they realized that they could actually do that as part of their agreement with a separate entity that they didn't control. And the day after they cut off our line of credit was the first time we'd ever we, that we didn't have to go into the line to make payroll uh <laughs> literally the same exact time you know so wow. i don't know that how can you be confident about do it like you just have to grind yeah. your way through it and just like yeah. just try to see every angle and try to try to constantly be analyzing what's going to happen and predict and then try to influence it as much as you can
1: well that bank lost out i don't know that you're still working with them or not but man if you are well, they really lost out
0: yeah, definitely not. Those are one of those ones where I go, yeah, at some level, I don't forgive and I don't forget. Um, yeah. Those are ones that you're going to get back eventually. So,
1: Yeah, well, I just, and on a side note on those, I just don't understand why they don't come to you and say, hey, talk to us about this other company. We want to learn more? Instead, they just take action and you're like, you don't even know the whole picture. I mean, you're just taking action based on what you think is a risk. I, I, I've always question those decisions I guess by some it's, financial it's because they're
0: bankers
1: <laughs> dirty bankers right
0: <laughs> they are the anti entrepreneur
1: <laughs> they yeah they're they're your assessment of risk I think for entrepreneurs really accurate I mean banking they are so I don't know yes they could be so risk averse it really stifles their growth opportunity but yes. they have different concerns exactly well, Question: I mean, what are your plans with Blueprint moving forward? I mean, you're still a young guy; still have a lot of runway left in your career. You want to grow it, take over the world, merge and partner with somebody else, or what are your guys' thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, so we're really um, um, our our strategy um, changed. It really changed about kind of uh, five years ago, um, and we're, it's really taken hold. Um, you know, we've we've been really passionate about removing. A lot of the kind of the friction and the waste that's in the entire technology system. So we've been building products um, that that we've been taking out the market, and so we're super passionate about building software um, that works that really helps make sense and stitch together this space. And then just organizationally, we're we have a great group of individuals that are really really passionate. They're really fierce about. Like being being like um, believing in the cause that we're we're trying to achieve, and you know, um, um, so we're always looking to grow and always looking to expand, um, not only domestically but internationally. A couple of years ago, we opened up an office in Eastern Europe, um, which we're like we're we're investing in pretty heavily, and then we've actually kind of the the overall plan is. Um, We wanna be able to be able to create products that some of these big guys will like and potentially be able to sell. Uh, We'll be able to sell the products themselves or do um, large scale licensing deals with these big providers um, to be able to give our leadership team um, the, the sale experience without having to sell the company. Um, And then we've been talking with a a few different kind of non-traditional private equity groups that want to actually get into this space um, as well. So we'd potentially be able to take funding from them to be able to um, go a lot bigger and faster than we are growing organically. We're one of the unique companies that we've gotten to this size organically through just yeah. just growth or without any M&A. We just did a merger. We bought a, um, we merged with a, a data privacy company to be able to get that um, level of expertise in the company. Um, but that's the first M&A that we've done other than right at the beginning.
1: Wow, that's incredibly impressive. I, I mean, at the size you guys are at, I'm sure you've kicked around the idea of going public at some point, or would that ever be in the cards?
0: I had that as one of my goals, and then I realized what level of hell that a CEO has to go through on earnings calls and yeah. how ridiculously volatile and speculative wall street is. And you, get, I like, I just, money's not that important to me. I don't care. I really don't care, like care about money that much to need that type of, of existence where you go in front of a board of individuals that you may or may not know. And all they do is sit back in judgment and try to make money off of your company movements. I don't know. I, yeah. so I, I'd have to, I'd have to change my, probably my life perspective in order to go public.
1: Yeah, no, that makes total sense. I, I've never been in that position, but I see, you know, some of the leading CEOs, you know, you talk about Elon Musk and what he went through on a few of his public you know, companies and you just think, man, private is the way to go. If you can do it, you know, if you yeah. can manage the cash flow, private's the way to go.
2: But well,
0: think about it, you know, like so, so the, the companies that actually go, that go back from go back, and be, uh, go private, right? Yeah. It's, 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 it's not because they like, it's, it's not because it's the like, overall financial strategies. They don't want to deal with being public. Yeah,
1: yeah. exactly. So um, I have a few questions for follow up. Matt, I don't
2: know if you have any other questions on, on, on that. Yeah, I've got a, a, it's kind of a different uh, vein to go down or a different road to, to go down, um, go for it. Yeah. So you're a serial entrepreneur. You have, you know, a lot of experience with a lot of different projects and, and companies that you've been with, um, recently saw on social media, my brother actually shared it with me, a video where a CEO was talking about, you know, when, well, I guess I can't say I know that he was a CEO, but he was saying from the life of a CEO, you're, you're putting out a lot of fires. You're, you know, you have to, there's a lot of stress. You got to be, you're running around like crazy, basically is what he was saying. And so basically saying that um, it's being a CEO is uh, it's labeled or, or advertised as being something that's glamorous, but in real life you know, you, you might be better off just having a, a regular job and just kind of wondering what your thoughts were on that. Obviously you are a CEO and an entrepreneur. So just curious what your thoughts are.
0: Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's awesome. I love you. It's a really good, really good uh, observation and thought process. Cause all right, you know, entrepreneurship, it, entrepreneurship is not for everybody. Um, the, Uh, and being a CEO, being a founder is not for everybody, um, being a CEO and a president of the company is not for everybody as well. Um, and when you are all of them all at once, it's just a different, it's a different existence. Right. And that's why I say, like, you know, um, most, most people that want to either date or marry a, an entrepreneur or something like you need to know what you're getting into. um, especially ones that is going to be successful. The I was just actually so we do we do a running club uh, um, Wednesday morning. So this morning we did ours, and I was talking with um, our former head of accounting and finance who who uh, left and he's working for a startup now. And um, they're they're going through their funding round, right? And they're trying to raise money, and they have been trying to raise money over the last 18, 24 months, right? <laughs> Well, raising money 24 months ago is very different than raising money today, right? And when you're in an executive position, and especially if your if your um, if your identity and um, your assets are all tied into it, cash um, and making payroll is just a it's a it's a thing, right? And it's a different level of pressure that somebody who just needs to I mean th- that just needs to show up for work. Right. And if they don't like their work, they can quit and they get unemployment and they can just put their resume out there and try to go find another job. Um, as a CEO, as a CEO, you don't have that luxury. Right. Um, but as an entrepreneur, you really don't have that luxury because if you don't like your job, you either have to sell the company or you have to shut it down or you can quit but if nobody wants to take it over like you know you're 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 screwed right and if the, the company goes sideways you have to ride the thing down and the difference is what most people don't realize about entrepreneurship and business ownership is unlike uh, you know if you're if a you know you buy a buy a house like real estate if the market goes, if the market crashes, and the and the the value of your home goes down forty percent or thirty percent or whatever, as long as you can pay your mortgage, you're all good. Um, and real estate has a tangible value. It's got land. It's got a building. It's an asset, right? Well, a business can not only go into the ground, but it can go below zero, right? You can go way below zero, right? And 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 as an entrepreneur, you have to be able to actually deal with that type of pressure. And so, yeah, I usually say, um, mo- most people go, geez, I don't know how you sleep at night. Um, just having to make that, make payroll, right? For that many employees. And yeah. so, and, and you only, re- you, you get to be able to do it by getting that. Um, getting a lot of scars and then having really, really good um, set of um, peers. So yeah. I get—I have a group of entrepreneurs that I get together with on a quarterly basis. We get together with on a monthly basis um, and chat through a lot of this stuff. Um, they're some of my best friends and and uh, comrades, and um, it's really, really important to have that kind of those the, um, that network of individuals that can really understand you. It also goes back. I mean, the first grade, you know you guys understand each other from first grade probably better than any wife or could really even understand you right um and it's important to have those type of relationships
1: yeah so i got two follow up questions you know you've had an incredible career and you've had incredible experiences along the way would you do anything different
0: um i don't i don't think so um uh I always look at it, I mean, obviously, um, so do anything different, um, I always take that question as if I look back and say, well, I, wow, I should have done this differently and should have done this differently. That, by definition, means that I'm not happy with where I'm at right now. And um, because all of those things, even the stuff that I, that um, you can swear on this one, right? You guys aren't like broadcasting on <laughs> the right? radio or anything? <laughs> um, no. Yeah, like, um Even the stuff that I thoroughly fucked up, all of that shaped me into who I am today. Especially the fuck-ups, especially the failures. Those are the ones that learning those lessons. um, I was always a strong kid growing up. And a big portion of the things that I ran into that I completely fucked up is because I didn't have a strong dad or other people just kicking my ass along the way and making me learn those lessons early you know so so I actually I don't think I would change anything now um the the um if I look back there was different paths I could have taken I don't know if those would have been better or not though um and so I usually look at it and go um yeah I did, I I wouldn't I wouldn't change anything
1: yeah and then the next question I have, if, if you were to counsel someone and you mentioned that you do some counseling and entrepreneurship, but somebody coming out of college, somebody wanting to start their career and they want to say, man, I want to do what Ryan did. I want to go out on my own. What counsel do you give them if you have an hour? I mean, what are the most important things?
0: Oh, I, I mean, it's important. Like anybody in this space, you have to be always have a mentor and always have mentees. Right, so I always have a, a number of mentees, and I have really good mentors. Um, and uh, the, the there is there is no substitute for hard work. Right, there's a lot of time in the day, and um, most of the time, if you've you know, if you're even relatively smart. Um, you can be successful in almost every single thing out there that you can go do, as long as you're willing to work your ass off and learn, right? Um, and so people that are going in, um, people that are going into the entrepreneurship side of things. I usually, I usually just counsel them and say, "Well, cool. First, it's not all it's cracked up to be, right? Um, uh, uh, most entrepreneurs don't make a shitload of money." Um, other than you know what social media glamorizes, right? Um, um, most people, most entrepreneurs actually make less money than the people that work for them. Um, in my company, I'm not the highest paid uh, um, individual, um, and so you have to really love it. You have to really, really love it, um, and uh, to the point where it becomes kind of part of your personality. And um, uh, and then and then just apply the amount of pressure that you have to have. There's no there, there's nobody that'll feel sorry for you. You can't feel sorry for yourself, and you have to have that level of perseverance and grit to be able to get through all the ups and downs.
1: Yeah, no, that's good counsel, wise counsel for sure. Um, Matt, any final questions?
2: No, just want to say thanks, Ryan, for taking the time out of your day and talking with us. It's been great.
0: You yeah, I love what you guys are doing. It's great.
2: Yeah, no, awesome. Thank you so much. An incredible story.
1: Really appreciate it. If you want to find more information about Blueprint Technologies, you can visit them on their website, www.bpcs.com. Again, www.bpcs.com. Also, you can find Ryan Neal, N-E-A-L, Ryan Neal on LinkedIn and other social media platforms. Appreciate him. And make sure to check out his band, Iris Drive, incredible band, they're going to be doing a little bit of a tour, like a mini Northwestern tour, coming to Boise, I hear, it a few, at some point. So for all of our Boise listeners, check them out. But uh, Ryan, appreciate your time.
0: You got it. If you're looking me up on uh, social media, uh, Ryan Neal Seattle will usually lead you to the guy who uh, plays in the uh, secondary for the Seahawks. It is wonderful oh, cool to hear that <laughs> on the, uh, on, on the uh, Hawks games. That is not me.
1: Uh, <laughs> either one reach out to either one they'll help you out.
0: Reach <laughs> either, out either one, one go for it
1: <laughs> awesome yeah ryan neil blueprint technologies ryan appreciate it have a great day
0: thanks guys appreciate it awesome thanks. Thanks for listening to the Founders Podcast. Be sure to follow the host on Twitter. Search at George B. Hansen and at Brandon Miner to discuss more. Also, be sure to visit thefounderspod.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content.